I have not in a long time seen such grief nationally as I did when Texas happened. And for that matter, Buffalo, a couple of weeks before it too, this country mourned and other countries mourned for us. I mean, the, the grief was really very emotional. People were talking about it nonstop and that's grief. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. On May 14th, a racially motivated shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, claimed 10 lives. At the time, it was the deadliest mass shooting of 2022. Just 10 days later, 21 individuals were killed in a shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. 19 of those victims were 11 years old or younger. There have been more than 250 mass shootings in the United States this year, and it's only June. By now, we know that when an event like this happens, it's not just direct family members who are affected, it's entire communities. So how can we effectively grieve together and help our neighbors who are struggling with loss? Today, I speak with Jill Cohen, a New York City-based grief counselor, about how individuals and communities alike can deal with grief after a traumatic event. Sure. I'm Jill Cohen. I'm certified in thanatology. I'm a grief counselor. Thanatology is the study of death, dying, and bereavement. And I'm a grief counselor for children and adults because I believe that nobody should have to grieve alone. But, you know, we're never taught how to do it. We don't know how. It's all very confusing. It's scary. It's frightening. It's lonely. And I think that there has to be a place and a space to process grief. So I work with kids and adults to figure out what to do with the new normal and how to get how to handle it. Because no one really we don't know until we get there. And it's different for everybody. Is grief caused by death from gun violence different from grief caused by death of health issues or natural causes? Well, it is because it's number one, it's a sudden death. It's inarguably a sudden death. And a sudden death is very different from death resulting from an illness that was expected or a long time coming or being adjusted to or is, is putting a person out of some kind of really acute pain. It's neither is worse, neither is better. They're just completely different. But you can't prepare for a gun death. You can't prepare for violence. And often there are ways it could have been prevented. It's also a collective death. It's a collective death experience because it's often not always but public. So if it's out there, a lot of people know about it. And sometimes your family is the center of attention and it becomes a national or at least regional issue. Can people not directly involved in shooting still grieve over that event and the people lost? Yes, particularly the one example is the recent school. I have not in a long time seen such grief nationally as I did when Texas happened. And for that matter, Buffalo, a couple of weeks before it too. This country mourned and other countries mourned for us. So when you grieve, if someone's grieving, they're often, number one, they're often re-grieving other grieves of their own. So it brings up other people that have died that were important to them. It's also close to home when it's children. If you have children, 
It's grieving a society that we feel is safe, that may not be any longer safe. So it's grieving for older people. They're grieving. Why? How come it can't be like it was in the 50s where things were safe and, you know, kids could play in the streets. So there is a lot of grieving, even if they're not directly involved. People say they were saying for weeks, I have a child. It could have been mine. You know, it's just it's an extreme empathy. And what are ways people can cope with an event like a shooting that they were not directly involved in? So that's a good question. The grief is different. If they were not involved in it, it wasn't in their state, wasn't in their school, it wasn't in their family. I think the way people grieved was quite well in that in that couple of weeks. There was this, I have to get it off my chest, talk about it. It was, you know, you see people on a bus or a train or walking down the street. Isn't that terrible? It's like it's expressing together and being heard. Yeah, it wasn't my kid. It was in Texas, not New York. But isn't that horrible? And our big line was, please hold your child closer tonight, which was a result of it. There was, so there was a lesson learned. I mean, the, the grief was really very emotional. People were talking about it nonstop, and that's grief. Then one other thing, they were actually taking more action politically with making meaning out of it so that this will not happen again in, in another school. I think that our governor, Lieutenant Governor, after Buffalo, said, let Buffalo, the word be used only in, in the sense that this was the last time we had a gun violence in a supermarket. That's mm-hmm. how we want to think of Buffalo. So we're trying to make meaning out of it and make change is what people are currently doing, doubling down on gun laws right now. How does grief affect a community and how can that community work together to overcome it? First of all, grieving in community is really very productive. You know, when a whole community, you know, you see everyone bringing flowers and they have vigils. When people memorialize what happened in a public way, it's very healing because All you want to do is have a place to come, to cry, to scream, to say this is not fair, but you don't want to do it alone. So community grieving is very productive. Often there are grief counselors that come to a scene. I know in particularly in schools, and that's the best of all possible scenarios. You know, when something happens, particularly in a school, grief counselors are on site the next day. What can New Yorkers do to help people who are grieving a loved one? First of all, I wish people knew this more. You can't say to somebody, I know how you feel because you don't. And it's very upsetting to people who say you like, you have no effing idea how I feel. I mean, my prayers are with you is, is very nice, but they're not that effective. Time will heal. You know, in the first five minutes or five days or five months after someone dies, you don't want to hear time will heal. And it, it will. We know that. Grief changes, changes hourly, changes daily, it changes monthly. But you're basically, you're, you're, you're discounting the fact that right now it is so intense and awful, you don't even want to live anymore, you know? So you can't minimize death. You'll feel better. You'll get used to it. That's not okay. So just listening to them scream, shout, cry, weep, you know, is, is the best that you can do. And also help physically, instead of saying, can I make dinner for your family? Just make it, just bring it over. Just say, okay, I'm taking your kid to church Sunday. Just do things that are physically helping gestures. 
Do you think the pandemic has affected the way we process grief? Yeah, I do. First of all, okay, first of all, death became a household word because I always say that children did not even know what that word meant. They just didn't because you don't at age four and five. But what happened is, why are we not going to school? Why are we not? Why are you not going to work? Because there's a disease going around. And if you could get it, it could be really serious and you could die. Or grandma, we can't be near grandma because she's older and it could be really dangerous. So all of a sudden, kids knew what dying meant. And their teachers died and their bus drivers died and it, and their relatives died. And it became more real than any kid would ever know in any time pre-pandemic. But people died and they knew it, neighbors. So it became kind of something people started getting used to. It's changed the way we look at a lot of things the pandemic did. How can we help children who like have seen all these events or see it on the news and like might be too afraid to take the train, take the subway or go to school? Part of the teaching is that it it was a very sad thing that happened and nobody expected it to happen in Texas or Brooklyn or, you know, downtown. Usually things are very safe. Usually we try to keep schools very, very safe. You know, it usually doesn't happen this way, but a very bad thing happened at a school that doesn't usually happen. You know, like I always say to people, particularly children, we don't have any reason to believe like their dad died, let's say that that your mom's going to die tomorrow or soon. Most likely, I mean, we all die, but most likely you and I are not going to die tomorrow. It was a very unfortunate thing that happened to your dad, but we're trying to make sure that everybody's safe and that we, I really think you're going to be really okay at school today. What about adults who might be fearful of like subways, but you know, they still, they know that all this violence is going on, but they still have to rely on them for work. Like, How can they work through their grief and their fears? I think if they're really very scared or very, very traumatized by it about the possibility, even though it was a one-off, we know kind of it was a one-off. It doesn't happen every day. It's okay to avoid it. It's, there's nothing wrong with saying, or or it's not embarrassing to, you can afford to not do it, to say, I just don't feel comfortable right now. That's okay. If you can put your money towards that, a taxi instead of going out to lunch. If it's doable, you don't have to jump right back in. You can also look at it as I'm doing everything that I can to be safe, you know, not staying close to the tracks or what people are now on the stairs or they're trying to go on the stairs more. I think part of that, they're, they're trying to do workarounds so that if someone comes and they're aware of their surroundings, they can kind of move. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. And you can also say, you know, I've been taking the subway for X number of years. This doesn't usually happen. So I'm trying to to reason with it. Yeah, it did happen. Does it usually happen? No. And it's sort of the way I want to get to work. And it's the way I want to go back to thinking that I live in a city that's safe enough that generally I can go to work unafraid. And this was a one-off. What resources are available for people battling grief? There are support groups. There are virtual support groups. There are grief counselors all over the country who work with people specifically on grief and processing it. Schools have counselors, not grief counselors, but they have counselors that are happy to see children after a loss. Adults, many companies that people work for have EAPs, Employee Assistance Program, and they will give you X number of sessions with a therapist free of charge. It's, part of, it's an employee perk that, that many people don't think of that they can take advantage of. It, doesn't mean, you know, 
that you have to have known someone that died. It can be, I have a lot of anxiety right now and I'd like to work this out because I have to keep my job and I have to keep commuting to my job. And so there are counselors available. Would you recommend one-on-one therapy or like a support group or is it depending on the person? It's depending. Both have, there's a place for both. I think when it's a really difficult or complicated or intense grief, a support group may not be, you may not get the one-on-one support that you need, which you would like with grief counseling. Part of grief is that people think they're alone. And I'm constantly saying, you know, you're not alone. I mean, we don't know in the course of a day, you know, there's a lot of people grieving out there and we don't know them. So it feels like, am I the only one grieving? But a support group will show you that you're not alone. And then I, and then I would recommend, you know, specific child loss or cancer or suicide because you're really with people with the same loss and you know, you're not alone. There's 10 other people in the room whose loved one died by suicide or something. But, and if you're way too overwhelmed, it should be individual. As Jill explained, dealing with grief isn't easy. So if you or someone you know needs help, make sure to check the links in our show notes. There, you can find Jill's curated list of books aimed towards helping people cope with major loss, as well as a list of New York City-based counselors. And if you can't quite find the help you're looking for, please drop us a line at hello at epicenter-nyc.com. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.